Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. And this is Trav. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out that they've got great stuff over there and we've got stuff. Let's do some trading. This week we are talking about what kind of trading, what kind of horse trading goes on between the Bureau 13 world and the Fringeworthy uh, New Commonwealth Group. Those of you who are familiar with TriTac and uh, and and the the universe that actually is Fringeworthy, since almost every game that TriTac has ever produced is actually out there somewhere as an alternate Earth. In Bureau Thirteen, the time scale is basically twenty years retarded from Fringeworthy. So when you're playing Fringeworthy and you look ahead what things are going to be like in 20 years, that's when you actually come across the Bureau 13 world, which is called Supernatural Earth. It's positive 13 on the Fringeworthy mapping. Yes, the prime. Right, because it takes so long to explore. We figured it would take about 20 years to get there. Also, you know, But also there was a... Um, uh, there's a time differential between the two. So if, you st if you're starting off Fringeworthy as a new campaign and you're starting from the very beginning, you're actually 20 years uh, ahead of the timeline in, in uh, Bureau 13 if you also started it at the same time. Okay, here, here's something, and, and we disagree on this, Bruce and I, because we know that the Bureau came back into existence after the Massacre of 77 in the early 80s. So we're talking 82, 83. Now, Fringeworthy D20 is set in 2013. So it could, I, I actually have it as 30 years from the early 80s to the early teens. So I have it as, well, no, 80, 90, aughts, 20, yeah, 30 years. That's what I always thought it was. I don't like dates like that because that's always been a problem. Instead, I said that when you start your game, it's always in the near future, which solves so many problems. But but that aside, the uh, the point is is that uh, the Fringeworthy people, when they've discovered uh, the uh, the supernatural Earth where Bureau Thirteen is, okay, they've had a lot of time to explore artificial uh, artificial. Uh, alternate Earths, and also to harvest a lot of the super tech that was left behind by the old commonwealth of the Tamellerns. So as a result, they are not just 20 years in advance in the timeline, but, the, but with the tech boost that's coming with that, they're actually even more advanced than that. And they have all kinds of artifacts with them. So then they go and they find supernatural Earth, and they meet uh, the Bureau 13 people there. Now, wasn't that, okay, now I don't know if this is true or canon or Rich said it, 
from what I heard, it was, I believe, the Massachusetts or Pennsylvania portal, and they came out on a zombie infestation, and they thought that the entire world was a zombie world. Yes. And the Bureau 13 team was there and just like, no, no, this is a local incident. Help us out and we'll explain. Yes, that is what happened. It was basically a, uh, it was it was modeled on the uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead um, uh, movie where it took place in, uh, in Steubenville, uh, which is in Pennsylvania, uh, near a mall. And, uh, but the interesting thing was is that, and this is canon also, is that zombies from Supernatural Earth can freely go in and out of the portal. Oh. Unlike oh. everywhere else where things have to be carried through by the Fringeworthy. Oh. Fringeworthy undead. So you ended up with... So the first thing they found out wasn't them going through the portal and getting jumped by zombies. It was them coming on to the platform and getting jumped by zombies. Jeez. <laughs> and an awful lot of them, too. So... Yeah, they, they were more than a little confused by all that. But they did notice that they seemed to be coming in and out of one of the portals, and they weren't just going through all the other ones. Because those go to other, because it is a prime, and so therefore there are seven portals going to other places on Supernatural Earth. Yes. Okay, so they met up with the BR-13 people, and who then put them in, in contact with their, you know, secret superiors... Because people, you know, teams never really know any, hardly anybody above them, uh, except for maybe they know a regional team and they know the people that work in tech services, which is really important because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about sharing uh, resources between Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy. Bureau 13 is a relatively small organization, even though it's we never really talk about how big it is. And so their resources are more along the lines of that they know more stuff than anybody else knows about the supernatural. And they do have some artifacts that have fallen through time and space, uh, which give them an edge. Um, and they also, you know, like Bangor, Maine. <laughs> and, then yeah. they all, and they also have people who, you know, who are really super like geniuses that are working the tech services. Professor Ray Robertson and his clone daughter Ramona. Yes. Right. Okay. So uh, the Fringeworthy show up, and they have. I want. It's not exactly a mature, advanced technology because they're still in flux as well. I mean, but I'm just saying is that if you thought about, you know, somebody with a Threadripper computer, walking in and talking to somebody who's got a um, a IBM XT or a Commodore 64 or yeah. actually like 98 it was uh, Windows 98 you know a three uh, a three a four uh, 486 yeah. something like that okay that's what they got and so yeah these people seem like technological marvels to them you know and and also the best thing about it is is that these people can provide technology in quantity versus the artifacts that they both have because they, they the French really still have all those, you know, super, super tech to them, super tech that's been left over from the Tamellar uh, Mel War and the, yep. the disintegration of the old uh, Commonwealth. Those things are laying around in various places and they've collected some of it and some of it they're using and some of it they're 
they're uh, I mean, they've done some research on it to the point where it's like saying, well, okay, you could use like a dozen, you could take a dozen of these and, and maybe use them as trade goods to somebody who will who trade you something even better for it. And so when they find supernatural earth, they're like, magic works here. Magic doesn't work on Earth Prime. Matter of fact, magic doesn't seem to work hardly anywhere. Yeah, I think it was I think it was the first world found where magic was real and existed and it was a working force. Yeah, it, but it works like blazes on this planet, but they managed somehow to keep all that hidden too, which is really weird because you'd think that, because there is a couple of worlds out there where they say that magic is low-level magic, everyday magic, but all the really high-level magic doesn't seem to be in operation. And, uh, and you know, and those, those worlds, you know, there's magic all over the place. It's like you know Harry Potter world basically. Yeah. It which with it, but it isn't Harry Potter. Just so you guys know. <laughs> but I'm saying is that the kind of they don't if you, if you look at Harry Potter, there's not a whole lot of super super magic going on. Nobody's casting spells that disintegrate cities, you know, or raise the dead, or you know, except that you know, except that one stone. But I'm saying is it so, but they have like regular magic, everyday magic, where you could put a a, a, a pigtail on somebody. The other kind of pigtail, not the one on the head, uh, yeah. and um, or you could uh, levitate something, or you could uh, you know have fl winged invisible animals carrying people hither and yon. I mean, that's the kind of tech they had there, and it were, and everybody knew about it. It was all part. It was integrated in their culture. But here you have a world where the supernatural is a secret. So I'm sure that was fascinating to the Fringeworthy because you know nothing about what they do. I mean, they're you know they they're they're running to that all the time where they go to a world. And it's like, do we tell them about the Fringe Pass? You know, if we do tell them, only one of a hundred thousand go through it anyways. So maybe it doesn't matter if we tell them. But most people, most of the time, they say, well, if we tell them about it, they're going to try to control it. And, they're, and it's going to make it harder for us to come and go and do what we want to do. So usually they keep the secret, except for the few places where it's, of course, a giant, it's a ginormous portal sitting out in the middle of the town square. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so you've got this really interesting, you know, you know, should we, you know, should we keep it a secret? Should we let people know about it? And at the same time, they're horse trading for equipment between the two groups. So that's what we're going to talk about right now, is we want to say what kind of stuff does the Bureau 13 people have to offer, you know, the Fringeworthy, and what does the Fringeworthy have to offer Bureau 13? Basically, we're expounding on this whole trade and technology agreement we've been talking about for years, folks. It's We're, we're digging deep on this one, so... And, and do you have some guidelines that was in that uh, agreement that you want to share? Well, I figured originally, and just from talking with Rich and talking with you and John and Blix, and this is what I've gathered and what I use in my campaigns. And then I'll, I'll do what Bureau gives Unita and what Unita gives the Bureau. Yeah, and none of this is official, folks. I mean, this is basically what we consider best practices. Right. Um. Bureau 13 would be giving Unita knowledge, and, and I'm using D20 terms again, knowledge of Arcana, the planes, like magical, cosmological type stuff. Oh, this is the shadow plane, the ethereal plane, the astral plane, elemental planes, etc. Religion, 
you know, so that way then you don't deal with Ray and Gozer. Ray, the next time when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes type thing. And also the fact that gods exist. Yes. Not only the one that you have with the cross, but the older ones and the forgotten ones. And yeah. And the new ones. And I, yes. And also, yeah, there is more of the technological gods. I remember that in the, uh, the percentile chart for coming up with bureau encounters. Yeah. Also, something I discussed with Bruce before we started recording, in the later, uh, uh, middle and later campaigns, because we figured out that the Bureau world was found maybe year two, year three of Unita heading out. and Because remember, they're not going to be exploring every portal between... No, they only got, they only got out about six... six um six in each direction six nodes in each direction in the first couple of years that's that's why they're listed when you look at the timeline no matter where you want to start what year you want to start if you say you know we, we said it like year plus two year plus three they only got at the most out six in either direction in the first like five years so you're saying that they didn't find Bureau 13 until the beginning of the middle campaign? Until at least the middle campaign, yeah. Okay, okay. I always thought that they found the Bureau Earth like year two, year three. Because not every portal is going to be open. Right. A lot of the portals between Prime and 13 Prime would have been just locked down or just, okay, not worth exploring. Right. But they didn't have very many teams either. Yeah, yeah. But what it, what it really comes down to is, is that you can choose, of course, as, as the GM, you, you know, you could say, well, we're just going to go and and just, you know, send the scouts out. And they're just going to, all they're going to do is run around and see what portals are open. And if you did that, then yes, you're going to run, they're going to run into supernatural earth and zombies walking around within a very short period of time. But whatever period of time that is, the, you know, whenever Bureau 13 world gets discovered, it is 20 years behind the events that are occurring on Earth Prime. And um, I'd also figured that down the line, like later in the middle campaign and into the late campaign, United agents could decide to take up magical training. You might, ha and John discussed this a lot in previous episodes over the past couple years, where you might have a minor mage or priest. You might have a Catholic priest who knows actually a little bit of spell casting because he spent time on Bureau Earth, not necessarily Banger Main, but just, okay, I'm reading tomes, checking this out, holy crap, it works. And so you might have... Healing. I mean, if you don't have a, a, a ton of dock boxes, having somebody come over and lay hands on you and, and basically neutralize a poison because of his faith, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, of course, you know, having a minor wizard, and this is something that John came up to, I remember, where you could cast a cantrip, like detect magic. Now, detect magic won't detect that there's ambient mana, but just the fact that the spell works and isn't detecting magic, that still means magic is on the node. As soon as you hit that alt platform, you could have a spellcaster, mage, cleric, bard, whatever. You could have a rock star all of a sudden take a level in bard. You know, just go that route. But they cast detect magic, and it's like, okay, the spell went off. I'm not detecting anything, but the spell worked. 
There is magic on this node, people. Right. Magic is part of that reality. Yes. Act accordingly. We may come upon an Earth there where there may be, you know, orcs and wizards there for all we know. Or just it's there and they haven't discovered it yet, which means we have an edge. The reality of the Prime holds true all the way through all the platforms, but it doesn't hold true of the worlds that are on the alternate platform. Okay, I always thought that if magic works on the Prime, it's all throughout the node, including the alts. No, because remember, you can rotate the alts into the Prime position. Each one is a different universe. Eight of the infinite number of offshoots of that Prime's history, yeah. Right, but it doesn't stick. But it could still also have different lo uh, laws, and therefore could not. It's possible for some of them not to be magical. As a matter of fact, that's usually the case. If you look at the uh, uh, about the listing for them, I don't think any of the 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 ones for uh, supernatural Earth have magical alts. I'm not sure. Uh, not that I know of, no. But I always ran at that. If it's good on the prime, it's good on the entire node and the world's on it. Well, the alternate platform is true, but I'm saying the if you go through the portal to an alternate world, it may or may not. And that's also but that's also cool in the fact is that there's lots of other nodes out there uh, where the prime isn't magical, but one of the alternates is. And we have lots of cases of that. Oh, yeah. When I say lots, I mean like a handful. Because... <laughs> Well, still, considering there's a million, million worlds, still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I'm just saying, is it's a low percentage, but it's nice to know that you could be, you can find them here and there. You know, uh, shotgun through the uh, multiverse. So yeah, you have down the line, well into the middle campaign and into the late campaign, where a Unita Idet or just one of the members could be training on Bureau Thirteen Earth under. With a, with a kitchen witch or something and just learning the basics of magic and depending if it's, you know, what their background is, they could be a bard, a wizard, a cleric, a druid. You could have somebody who on a United team is, you know, what do they call it? Neo-pagan. And all of a sudden they're casting spells in the, the old druidic, what is it? The Wagnerian... Faith, I think, well, that's more Wicca, but still, you could tweak that. I'm not trying to offend any of our pagan listeners here. Trust me, we have making pagan characters down the pike as a future episode. I'm interested in that because I have no idea how to do that. Well, that that's I, I will be bringing in SMEs. I just have to, it's a matter of logistics. Um, but yeah, so magical training might be available down the line for United agents who want to have that little extra trick up their sleeve. Because if you can sit there and pull off an honest-to-goodness magic trick, it'll do more. It, it'll save you having to dig in, what did Rich call it, the amuse-a-savage kit. Mm -hmm. If you can sit there and pull off, create water, and have it, you know, just drain down, you know, you, you'd have, you know, savages thinking you just created rain. Yeah, you guys would be seen as gods. So that might be helpful down the line. So, as I said, knowledge of arcana planes religion and future magical training and as i said the planes all knowledge planes is is transdimensional physics on a magical level you are learning as i said about the inner planes the outer planes the transitive planes the energy planes the elemental planes the demonic planes yeah well yeah lower planes yeah 
hell, the abyss. Right. But see, the Fringeworthy, they're all about, you know, the, this whole giant portal system. And the first time that you say, well, you know, we can go somewhere just using hell. And they're like, what? He says, yeah, we, we summon a demon. He creates a portal. We go through hell and we can appear anywhere we want to. And, you, and of course, they're going to be like, well, does that mean I could appear anywhere I want to on the fringe pass? Yeah, see, that's the, okay, that's the GM working that out. Yeah, the GM has to make that decision. This is something I've always wondered, and I've not used this. Would the fringe paths have something akin to dimensional anchor, the spell, where when it is cast, you cannot dimensionally move in or out, which includes teleportation, because teleportation, by like the D20 rules, you are its instant extraplanar movement. You're basically creating that micro-warp that teleports you from one place to your destination. Does the fringe paths, you know, each platform, each pathway, do they all have, like, dimensional anchors and the only way you can transport from in or out of them is via the portals? Probably. So that means, oh, I want a plane shift to the alt platform. Would not work? Well, you'd have to plane shift to one of the alt worlds. No, I'm talking if you wanted to, because we already know if you somehow end up on the fringe paths, you are automatically made fringe worthy. And once you step off onto an altar prime or a system or a star, your quantum signature stays that way for 10 minutes. If you don't get back to the portal in 10 minutes, you're stuck in that world and you lose the, the temporary attunement. That's what I've always been hearing. So that would mean if you were to, plane shift or gate onto the fringe paths platform or port or um platform or pathway mm -hmm. you would gain that temporary attunement and then as long as you make it back onto the pathways 10 minutes you can technically stay fringe worthy well i've never allowed it so i don't know okay so that that again that's gm fiat i but i'm i was just saying if you wanted to go let's say you know from an you know, the um, Pax Romana to uh, to Bureau 13 Earth, theoretically, you could do that. Yeah, that's just plane shifter gate. That's fine. You're traveling from one alternate to another alternate Earth. Yeah. I'm talking from an alternate or parallel Earth or prime Earth to onto the fringe paths via plane shift. Yeah, onto the artifact that is the fringe system. Yes, and I I would agree with you that I think that probably with with because they are imposing a structure onto these relationships, you know, the connections that they're making, that they would probably be proof against anything other than a god level of of that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. All right. Again, your mileage may vary. That's I'm. I, I w because actually Josie's uh, Kitsune character in my modern Bureau 13 game had to do a gate spell. So I made her roll, you know, like a spell resistance type thing to try to punch through. And she did. She made it. I mean, it would have cost her greatly if she failed it. But yeah. So, I mean, I would say come up with something for like, you know, OGL, a spell craft check and just apply a DC, and if they fail, then it just doesn't work. And you burn the slot or the spell points, and then if you want to try again, you can. So now, Unita giving to the Bureau. Now, the Unita, it, it's all going to be super advanced tech. Not only occasional 
Termellor and Commonwealth, Commonwealth Tech. But you also have to remember all that this Termellor and Commonwealth and Commonwealth and other high tech. I mean, there may be societies out on the fringe paths that just develop their own high tech independent of fringe based. Yeah, they've had a thousand years to develop it. Well, they did it on their own. They did. They didn't. I know, but think how much tech we've developed in in like the last two hundred years. That's what they would have done too. It might be very different than our tech. So you have these Unitas bringing the examples of tech back to Earth Prime, where of course you have, you know, the UN, you know, their whole thing, and they're probably having corporations do it for them. They're reverse engineering and therefore bringing new tech because you see, if you look on the charts on Fringe of the D twenty. It starts at high PL5, you know, in that first year when they find, and it ends up going to, to darn near PL8 by the late campaign because they are reverse engineering all this tech. Because you got to remember, Earth Prime is in the middle of like an environmental breakdown. Food is scarce, overpopulation, disease, um, warfare, unemployment. And that was the thing. They found these fringe paths, and all of a sudden that kind of brought everybody's attention to the fore. And as the fringe where the explorers were bringing back new technologies, new scientific principles, Earth Prime's technology rose. So they're going to be giving all of that as part of the trade and technology agreement. So I, I just have advanced firearms, armor, vehicles, medical technology, computer technology, and just technology across the board. New metallurgy, uh, new chemistry, um, you know, like the Demixie construction techniques, you know, they'd be giving that to the Bureau. Oh, if you want to build a secret base, trust me, we have some spider-like allies they know how to build, you know. So that was just my small list. I mean, obviously, I'm going to use this term again, you get a chuckle up. The patented Bruce Sheffer outline goes a lot deeper down this rabbit hole. This was just something I came up with tonight based on what I know of the trade and technology agreement between the Bureau and Unita. So, Okay, so let's let's go over it then. Yeah. All right. So let's start at the top with, Bu with what Bureau Thirteen shares with the Fringeworthy. Uh, the first thing is Corleon detectors. They are non-magical. Anybody can use them. Let's see. Corleon detectors have been out here on what? I think they came out in the seventies when they when they started paranormal. You know, because in the seventies they were still coming off the sixties and a lot of mysticism. And I think it was actually a Russian invention. Well, it it was like in the twenties, actually. But that really, was, yeah. But that was yeah. We have it's in the lost files. Uh, but uh, there's a. Uh, it was the size of you know like a IBM tape closet. You know, it was like the size of a of a um, uh, 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 cast iron stove. That big of a thing. That the oh, original geez. the original detector was. You know, it was it was designed to be put inside of a room where supernatural things were going on and it was supposed to light up or, or make some kind of a signal whenever, you know, if it detected anything happening. But it, it got much further. So we now, you know, it, it went in the... In the in the time when they had the Massacre 77, you know, it was a basically a box that's trying to get something the right size. Uh, it was something about the size of... Um, a water bottle, <laughs> the size of one of those, like you know, uh, um, 
uh, quart water bottles, but it was a box. You know, it was in, yeah. in those days we would say the size of a portable phone or yeah. you know uh, this is um, a small woman's purse. But the, the point was, is it was that size? It had a screen on it, and inside of it, it had like seven crystals, each one of which would uh, made of a particular material, and each one of them would vibrate. Whenever the it was in the presence of a different type of supernatural energy, and that would be picked up by electrical leads, which would then give a graph on the screen, and you could look at it and say, "Okay, this is what we got going on here, right this instant." And you could take it out to a, a recording device like a computer, uh, you know, back then, because uh, they did have laptop computers back then, uh, and then take that and then map it over time to see you know whether it, it was you know something that was periodic or whether it happened like some incident happened it was slowly just melting away until nothing or whatever you know and uh but it was a pretty big thing now uh in in, in my bureau 13 game it's all built into their phones you know they're 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 little hand phones there's little they're tiny little slivers uh inside of uh the you know in in the in the phone area and it maps does the mapping and does the real-time analysis and all that stuff right onto the screen as an app i have it as the part of the shades and you can bluetooth it or use a cord into your pda or your phone that's how i have it as the shades basically you can turn it besides all the magnification and night vision it's basically detect magic. It works as a tech version of the spell. You can sit there and determine the power of the auras. And if you make a spell, or was it for Pathfinder now? I think it's Knowledge Arcana. You do Knowledge Arcana, and you can sit there and determine, even if you know of the magic, what type of school of spell. Oh, it's Illusion Glamour. Okay, he's under a, a disguised self-spell. That's not his real form. Things like that. I have it built into the shades. But yeah, I never thought about that with the cell phones. Okay. Right. Well, see, and the advantage is that if you go to a world in which the supernatural exists, okay, casting a spell says, yes, you know, the magic works. But, you don't, but you're not going to be able to keep that up all the time unless that's the kind of magic you're using. Instead, this is a device that you can keep on and you walk into an area that's hot, it's going to let you know. Uh, I mean, it's not something that ever has to be turned off, which is one of his big advantages. It's passive, it, um, and it can be used by anybody, not just you know somebody who's got a magical power. So, so that you know, for people, if they're uh, and of course the Bureau of Thirteen people run. I'm sorry, the Frisbury people run into a lot of weird radiation, you know, dimen dimensional rifts and all kinds of things like that. That's one of the crystals. One of the crystals measures dimensional rift energy. And and things like that, you know, uh, time you know time dilations and and all kinds of stuff like that. So it, even if they went to a world where it wasn't magical, there's probably that that one crystal would probably still be able to give them information about high tech devices. So it's so that's one thing that I think that uh, you know you you might start peppering into your uh, fringeworthy groups is somebody might say here's this uh, here's this detector it uh, lets you know if you get in the area of some weird radiation uh, and if you ever go to a world where there's magic it'll show you even more. Yeah, for those of you who let, let me give you an example of a curling photograph. 
If you all remember the original beginning of the X-Files, it had the picture of the hand imprint with all the light around it. That was a Curlian photo that was showing the aura of that person's hand. That's what Curlian photography was. So, yeah, just for example, for the listeners, it, you know, because, you know, I mean, you could, you know, JFGI, just frilling Google it. But that would be the best example I could give for people. Oh, okay. Was that one little bit in the X-Files intro. Right. In Bureau 13, uh, a normal person has a Quirlian aura between nothing and uh, 18 inches away from their body. Uh, from the standpoint of the game mechanics, it allows your, you know, whenever you cast a spell for your clothing to be in, to be included. If you pick up somebody, you'd be able to teleport with them without it being something that you, you normally wouldn't be able to do. You know, if there's spells that say other, you know, that means something that's outside your Quirlian aura. Now, mages, of course, when they cast spells, their Quirlian aura increases enormously. Yeah. And, and, and so does the amount of Quirlian energy they're putting off. And a lot of monsters do too. But the point still is, is that that's the idea, you know, that the, you have this Quirlian aura around you all the time, and we will, you know, and you can measure it on on Earth Prime, you know, it's but it's just a uh, you know electromagnetic aura. It doesn't really, you know, doesn't like you can't use it to determine if someone's good or evil. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing with Curly. We, you know, Earth Prime would have Curlian detectors but they never would have reached past the parapsychology hobby stage. The bureaus obviously would be a lot better. And of course they say the Bureau of 13, they've had years to refine it, make good use of it, you know, um, and and that's why I say their curling detectors would be the ones that the, the fringeworthy teams would want to have their hands on. Oh, yeah. Right. Now, of course, they might laugh at the... At the, uh, um, the, the, the the old technology that's in the rest of the phone <laughs> because generally speaking the fringeworthy have better equipment than they give to the beer 13 world well yeah yeah i mean <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be like someone handing you a flip phone <laughs> you'd give that oh you'd give that same look that tony did when he pulled it out and infinity you need to call steve and he looks at it it's a flip phone he just has that look like oh god yes yeah. so steve yeah but um yeah, you're not going to give your your best tech to the bureau, but you're still going to give them stuff that will give them that edge above everyone else. And oh yeah, it's going to be at least twenty years in advance of what everybody else has, if not thirty years, because of that tech uh, acceleration, because of them running into new and better tech that even is being developed on Earth normally, naturally. So yeah. Okay, so um, now one of the big things which is probably not going to be terribly useful, at least not unless you're in the right place, is the 13th pocket. Ah, uh, yes. My players love the 13th pocket. Those guys go nuts with the 13th oh, yeah, pocket. Oh, yeah, me some things. That... Every one of them has a 13th pocket somewhere. And some of them actually has a 13th pocket surgically embedded in them. Yeah, see, I'm just like... Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Now, uh, a funny thing, uh, well, not so funny, but uh, one of the ideas they had for, like, the um, uh, the keys for launching the nuclear codes was yeah. is that they uh, uh, there was a proposal that they surgically embedded in the chest cavity of somebody and that you would have to take a knife and cut it out of that person in order to use them. Which and the reason for that was because they wanted people to not, you know, 
destroy the world lightly. Yeah. And so somebody had to die before everybody could die. Was the idea? It was supposed gives to, a term to gives a term to that whole. New, was it the Merchant of Venice? That pound of flesh. Yes, yeah. closest Ugh. to the heart. That's exactly yeah. what the term was. So that didn't go. That didn't fly. By the way, the military decided not to do it that way. They split it up into two people instead, and so two people had to agree to launch the nukes instead of one person having this this key dug out of their chest cavity. But anyways, um, this you know these these guys. Some of them have like a. a, a a coil of wire that's embedded someplace in their body. If they pull it out, then the wire will split apart, opening a huge, pretty big uh, um, pocket, a uh, 13th pocket. And uh, they they just go crazy with this. So they put all kinds of stuff in there. And, you know, it's not a bad place to put all kinds of emergency gear because, you know, let's say you go to a world and it doesn't support it. Okay, this is your backup stuff. This is the stuff, you know, might be nice to have and no, you don't have access to it. Okay, fine. But then you end up going to another world where there's a lot of magic. Okay, now we can start pulling out the magic gear, the stuff that actually can support us in this environment because it's so unlike the other environments we're in. So I always thought of it as a, as a way of the fringe where you could have a kind of a um, uh, dual... Uh, 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 pack out bags you know this one so in your regular you know uh, uh, you know uh, backpacks or whatever you know go bags or whatever you want to call them you had this pocket which had all of your you know supernatural uh, um, elimination or um, investigation stuff in it plus additional supplies that you might need uh and when you're in some place where you can use it, then you can open it up and get the stuff out, and you'll be. And it's another way of doing the detection, by the way. That doesn't require casting a spell. Yeah. Because you could just, if you can open it up, it's then magic works. Okay, I'm, I'm, your, your players that actually have it surgically embedded. So we're talking there. They're walking around with like a kangaroo pouch. It's really, it's really more like, uh, you know, like a girl would have a, a pregnancy, you know, control thing implanted under her skin. Okay, because I'm just seeing a lot of bad Cleavon little blazing saddles jokes when he has the scroll. Just say it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's 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 just it's not very big. Like I said, all it has to do is be wide enough for him to grab someone to grab it and pull it apart. And the, it's coiled, so you unroll the coil, and the length of that is the is the, the basically the diameter of the hole. And then you just open it up like you'd open up any bag, and inside yeah. of it is is all the stuff. So yeah, I mean it was it was like he he did it as a as a means of having something. On something on him that could, wouldn't be easy for someone to take away from him, and he's used it once so far in the Bureau of Thirteen game, where he really was in a situation where he needed a lot of gear. The one thing I I looked at the thirteenth pocket there in B thirteen D twenty, and I just I just for me I just use it's a technological version of the handy haversack from you know the DMG in the core rulebook. Though I use it more like a portable hole. Yeah, like 125, 120 pounds, and it still weighs just five pounds to carry it all. 
See, I, I've actually don't put those limitations. I, I, I let them put as anything that they want to inside of it. Well, I don't know. Still, 120 pounds of extra stuff and only weighs five pounds. I mean, you get creative. You can put in a lot of stuff as long as it can fit. No, no, I, I know. But I'm just saying they put thousands of pounds of stuff in oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just... You know, the, the one guy has a whole machine shop. Uh, in, in yeah, a, see, yeah, yeah. He basically uh, uh, put a second door in the back of his van. So he opens the back, the fake door, and there's a door that goes into his machine shop. Okay, that's like an extra-dimensional space then. That's like, okay. That's what it I'm is. Thinking, yeah, well, I'm thinking like the one that they have surgically implanted. I'm like, no, 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 that's tiny, yeah. Yeah, okay. In, in, right. in, that, in, yeah, I mean, it's no, it's, I mean, you know, you roll that thing up, it's still going to have a certain size. After a while, it's certain. I mean, unless you want to use it as a breast implant, it's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's going to get noticeable. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, um... Okay, so uh, advanced armor. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, uh, it, advanced armor is, is kind of something they've been kind of coy with uh, in the Bureau 13 game. It's never been really clear. I added, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I played it straight with the uh, combat suit Mark One and Mark Two. By just basically saying, here's the layers. You layered it up six layers. You add some magic to make it a little bit more mobile so you don't lose the agility. And you get all this protection, okay? But then I also, um, when I did the, uh, uh, and this is in the Outpost game supplements, by the way, folks, in case you you know, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, there was this thing called the Urban, um, uh, the urban Combat Suit or Urban... Uh, uh, assault suit. It was basically it looked like a regular suit, but what it was is that the, the there was a um, a layer of Bucky tubes, uh, and the Bucky tubes were they uh, they had a an interlock. They basically could rotate and interlock with the Bucky tube next to it, and it happened as a result of. Uh, electro, uh, an electrostatic charge that was run through the Bucky tubes it would basically make them all rotate and therefore lock into rigidity. So most of the time when you're using it, you can bend and everything's nice and flexible. But if someone shoots you or hits you, basically that kinetic energy that they use would trigger you know, the electrostatic charge and would cause that area to become as hard as steel. Okay, all right, I've heard of that. I just haven't heard the terminology bucky tubes. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's basically uh, a more advanced version of, um, I think, um, it's a Kepter armor. It's, it's, it's kind of armor they use on tanks where they literally explode plates. You know, when a, a t uh, an anti-tank round hits a tank, there will be these explosives on the edges of the plates that it hits that drive the plates together, making them tougher. Yeah, I think I know of the technology. I yeah. can't. It starts with a K. I can't remember the name of the actual um, uh, armor that they're talking about, but it exists. Anyway, so this is a more high-tech, more flexible version. So there's that. That was one version, you know. Um, and I always thought that, you know, and, and when we talked, uh, Nick Pilata's novels had a magical version where it was just like regular armor except it was like 10 times as good as regular armor and the only time that you really knew 
how tough this armor was was once when all the magic for a very short period of time left the world and the ar and all of a sudden they were like sagging under the weight of all this armor they were wearing it was suddenly their armor weighed 50 to 100 pounds when before it was only like 10 pounds Ooh. okay what i what i do for advanced armor and i found this rule um Again, Scorch Earth Studios puts out these two things called military style or military scale magic and military scale weapons. Now, for plus six wealth, you can add to your armor and your weapons the military scale descriptor, which if you have the armor, you add five to the damage reduction or hardness or five to the armor value if you're using the straight armor bonus. Most bullets will bounce off. Now, if you have a military-scale weapon, the damage is times five unless you have a military-scale matching armor or hardness. Like, oh, this, this house was built with military, or this bunker was built with military-scale materials. Okay, well, then your military-scale bullet's just going to do the 1d8 damage and it'll most likely bounce off. That is what I would use the fringe-worthy giving Bureau 13. Oh, yeah, we have this, you know, this Kevlar 2 spider silk vest that, you know, it's as thin as a T-shirt, yet most small weapons fire will just bounce off it. And for the rules, you could just give the military scale descriptor. And that's what I would do for, and it's just advanced materials. If you want to make it, it's just a plus six to the wealth score if you're using the D20 modern wealth system. So it's not cheap to make. Because the fact that it comes from advanced alloys and whatnot. And then, of course, they have the heavy military scale, which is plus 12, and it's times 10 damage. That's the stuff you put on vehicles and starships and whatnot. So, it, yeah. You see, now you're, you're coming from the other direction already, so I was going to wait until uh, 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 to talk well, about I, the, stuff, the, the stuff that I do in my Fringeworthy game that's advanced uh, armor tech. 13 would have that stuff too because remember they get aliens, they get dimensional travelers so they would have the tough armors and yeah they could be given that to it's like yeah we got this from you know somebody on our Alpha Centauri you know there's a race whatever there and yeah they, they brought this here you know about 10 years ago. We reverse engineered it now we're making you know our undercover vest for our agents here. They have a couple. Well, that's where I basically got the idea of the Bucky tubes. Yeah. Okay. Because you know, right. it was essentially you were taking something that was that was normally soft, but then it would become rigid, and that and therefore gave you all the protection, you know, um, the 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 flexibility of cloth armor. But when you needed it, it became the rigidity of double layer ballistic. So was okay. So let me get this straight again. Was it when the concussive force hits? small electrical charge aligns all them bucky tubes and enforces the rigidity of the material yes basically oh, be okay. before it can penetrate basically the stuff becomes too hard for it to penetrate okay all right yeah i mean this all happens on a nano you know a nano uh, you know uh, a peta whatever it is picosecond you know well because there's nanotech picotech and femtotech i'm talking yeah. about time I'm saying oh, it okay. happens so quickly. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, nanotech is bucky tubes. So, okay. Yeah. All right. 
Okay, so now one of the things uh, that we always loved about Bureau 13 was the always get bars tech, which which is you could be in the bot you could be in the bottom of a uh, of, of, of of I don't know a, a, a cavern you know deep in the earth and you're in, and you can still still talk up to the surface to your team. Okay, uh, this is something that was in uh, was usually is not found in the bureau uh, in the fringe really book. Uh, the, we always gave them like you know uh, sub uh, sub vocal communicators that ran for for days and things like that. Uh, but they basically were always limited by tech that made sense in the sense that okay you had to put up a balloon and the balloon would bounce your signals around and and create a local area network and uh and, and you had your vehicles would boost your signals so you could talk to each other even if you were separated by miles and miles but essentially you were your own local cell tower yeah uh and uh, but if you went underground any real distance, then no, you were cut off, just like you would expect to be. But in Bureau 13, they always had bars because they were using the quantum entanglement concept, where you know, uh, uh, where basically the, the the phones are actually like the same phone, and you know they you could talk to each other over any distance because. You're essentially right next to each other as far as the phone is concerned. You're still connected to each other as far as the phone is concerned, which also plays really hob with people trying to find your phones, because you know, like for example, if you're trying to someone's trying to do a counter hack against you, and you're using your phone and you got like a Wi-Fi connection to something, you know, it's it can be pretty hard for you to, for them to do that. Um, Especially if you're if you're sending your signal and, and taking it through a satellite or something, uh, the uh, I, was, I was about to say something. Um, uh, I lost it. Okay, never mind. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, this if this was something that isn't magical, if it isn't in a sense some advanced physics that they've just learned because this somebody basically gave them a phone like that and they were a pair of phones like this and they were able to reproduce that technology this would be something really cool and really high tech for bureau 13 to give to the fringeworthy well i mean obviously it wouldn't work through a portal so you couldn't be on like a platform or call it. you still have to all be on the same planet but you can be anywhere in that planet's dimension you could be you know your your base could be there your home base could be there next to the portal and you've got a guy up in orbit for whatever reason and they'd have bars right you wouldn't have that 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 delay you know we we talk about it and see you could see where this could be really important for earth prime and like say their space program because right now one of our biggest problems is we go and we have to make our robots intelligent because it takes six hours, sometimes six days, for a signal to reach the robot to tell it to do something. So we need the robots to be able to take directives and do what they're supposed to do and send information back to us. You could actually control your robots in real time if you had this kind of tech. Oh, yeah. And remember, if you read later on in the late campaign model... Um, because, yeah, the Fringeworthy, they're exploring the solar system and, you know, worlds up to 40 light years. Remember what NASA's slogan ended up being, space for the rest of us. 
So if you sat there and had the Fringeworthy put out these transmitters on, like, the various worlds on the system platform, you'd already have the instantaneous communication there set up for when you send non-Fringeworthy colonists out to Mars and whatever. Or even to Alpha Centauri and other worlds. Yeah. Within the 40 light years. Yep. So you you could actually you could actually you know control your robots that are doing your surveys in alien uh, you know throughout alien uh, solar systems, and it would still just it'd be as if you were standing right there because it's still the same universe. Yes. So that's pretty that's pretty cool stuff. Okay, so what is this called again? Quantum what? Quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement, okay. Yeah, it's the idea that atoms are, you know, are, you know, once together are never apart. And, you know, what, what one of them does, the other one mirrors. Oh, okay. All right, all right. It's, it's also used uh, in a lot of theories of teleportation and other types of stuff. Yeah, it's kind of what they, they talk about the, the TARDIS the same thing that technically it's throughout all of time and space and everywhere, but it just collects itself at the one place where the time Lord positions it. It's technically all over, but like 99.9% of it is what you see there in front of you when it materializes. The rest of it is elsewhere. So that'd be kind of a, yeah, it's got a, yeah. it's got, it's got a black hole in the center of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's nowhere nearby. can't be otherwise you know earth would go punk yeah well that's why even i remember 12 was saying something about well i have to have you know weight regulators why imagine the mass inside of a tardis it would crack the planet (laughs) we have to have it spread out yeah right this is bruce sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there so go explore them and this is trav there's a reason why it's called gaming it's for having fun Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.